intro is gonna play for like 45 seconds. Hey, Omar, can, can I eat on this podcast? Uh, do whatever you want, Peter. I mean, I don't know. It's you're, asking you're, you. You're the producer. Whatever you feel like you want to do, brother. <laughs> this is all the countdown, and Peter's like, "Oh God." I mean, kind of funny, right? I'm just like, "Fucking." And welcome everybody to the Only Differences You show. Today we have Amar Gose. I probably butchered your name. Why don't you uh, help me pronounce that, brother? <laughs> it's pronounced uh, Gosh. It's one of those. Gosh. All right. Like all right. Yeah. I was close, but I totally butchered it either way. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's the A meets the O Mars today. We got. Amar and we got Omar and I wish we worked at the same company because man that that would just be awesome. Um, yeah. Just to let the audience know, I am kind of just meeting Amar at, for the first time. I know uh, Peter and Amar go way back. How far back? I don't know. Why don't uh, Peter after you're done uh, with your mouthful and maybe uh, Amar you can go first and just introduce yourself while uh, Peter swallows whatever he's got in his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll let Peter talk about um, how we uh, how we know each other and everything. But um, yeah, just in in a nutshell, like I'm Amar. Um, I um, I, mean, I guess when I'm on like podcasts like this, I'm typically on because I've been doing like the digital nomad thing for a couple of years. That I um, like we we met back in Orange County. I was working a tech sales job like back there and moved back up to the Bay Area. Started my own um, company that we bootstrap, no funding, anything uh-huh. like that, and that was back in 2013 and Uh so in 2015 after um working full-time for like a couple of years and doing that as a side project Uh um i started traveling the world and so i've been doing that since 2015 and um in early 2021 i'll be settling down in um in thailand for the uh for the foreseeable future so that's kind of me in a nutshell i guess i don't know that's great man that that's really awesome like i couldn't ask for more of a of a great summary um and give me some some information so that that i can kind of springboard off of uh tell us what what was that bootstrap company that that you built in 2013 i'm curious so that's um, zenmade.com, uh, Z-N-M-A-I-D. It's a uh, scheduling software for, um, for maid services. So every Great. maid service has to manage their calendar. They have to know like where they have to be and when. Great. So a lot of maid services will be using you know, pen and paper or Google Calendar or whatever, and we just have a much more um, specialized version of that that adds Great. on some automations and stuff like that. Great. And is that company still going? Did you sell the company? What's going on with ZenMade? Uh, yes, still going, still going. We um we just broke in October. It took a long time to really to really build that up. Like three, even four years in, it didn't really look like it was financially worth it. Uh-huh. Um, that like the big reason that I actually started traveling the world was to actually lower my expenses. That a I lot see. of people think traveling the world is really expensive, but you know you go to Thailand and you can comfortably live on seven eight hundred dollars a month. And so that was like the big reason that I finally made the jump and like went um, went over there. But yeah, I think in October we just broke like the one million dollar um, annual um, recurring revenue mark. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's still still going strong. 
That, that's amazing. And thanks for just kind of taking us behind the scenes and just sharing a little bit. I, th I think that's very admirable as far as what, what an entrepreneur is willing to do for his own company, you know, lit literally being a nomad so that your company can survive. Now, how, how, how big or how little of an impact do you think that was for your company's survival? And, um, and furthermore, would you recommend that to others or not? Um, I think it probably depends a lot on like your, your kind of like your risk profile on how like risk averse you are, um, as well as like your fallback options. Uh -huh. Uh, so a great book, the big like classic is the four hour work week. Um, and, uh, if you, if you read that, one of the biggest takeaways that I had from that book was, um, talking about like worst case scenario planning. And so for me, um, I was miserable at my day job. Mm -hmm. I was commuting back and forth to San Francisco. Um, where sure. I was spending about three hours a day just getting to and from work in like mm -hmm. both directions. And so for me, it was kind of a sanity thing that I think that if I hadn't gone full time, made the jump and gone abroad to like lower my expenses, mm -hmm. I probably would have like jumped off like a bridge at some point, right? Like I was just completely miserable. Dude, and unhappy. yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it was very much like the, the, the key thing is, is like I went full time on it. It still wasn't doing great, but there was a lot of potential there and being able to focus on it full time. I mean, it literally would have taken me another three years. You know, it would have taken me until 2018 working on it as a side project for me to have even considered trying to go full time on mm. it and continuing to live I um, where I did. Um, yeah, I mean. Sometime in 2019, I started actually paying myself more money from the company than I was earning in San Francisco. Gotcha. So, like, it, it would have taken wow. a long time. Mm. So, uh, so no, I mean, I that's a beautiful answer. I think um, if I was to summarize it, it, you would pretty much be saying, "How bad do you want it?" Pretty much to any young yeah. young hustlers, right? If you, you know, if you're willing to wait, if you're willing to treat it as a side hustle, sure. But if you know, if you want to make it happen, um, that's pretty much what you, you have to be willing to do is, is what you've done. Amar is, is all right. Well, if you really want to uh, save those costs and make your um, nut as low as possible, so to speak, uh, you got to be willing to, to do those kind of things and, um, and give up what it means to travel the world. Right. That that really means that your, your relationships have to be dynamic and mobile. Right. Nothing. Um, or at least you have to detach yourself from any kind of physical things. Um, as far yeah. as being, um, I, I, I come from the poker world, man. So I, I know quite a few people that have actually moved to Mexico and Thailand to be able to play online poker. So, um, I mean, f as far as me being able to do that, no, I don't think I could, um, I'm, I'm tied here to Los Angeles for a couple reasons. So uh, when I hear that kind of story, I'm just impressed and amazed and, um, and you're, you're right in the middle of it, man. So, um, yeah. I, I think that's a, a really cool story that you're right in the middple of telling actually. Um, yeah, a couple, couple of things there, just really, yeah, really quickly. Sure, so yeah. one, one thing that I really want to like emphasize here is so, um, like, I think it's more just that everyone has to find their own path and there's like different ways of doing it. There's different ways of accomplishing it. But mm -hmm. what, what I, the, the way that I think about it is just like, if you want, 
if, if you want to be able to do things that other people can't do, you have to be willing to do things that other people like don't do, right, or won't do or whatever. And so it's more of just thinking of it Some. in terms of like sacrifice, right, of just like you can't have like, I mean, essentially you can have anything that you want in the world, but you can't have everything that you want mm-hmm. in the world, right? And so for me, I just made a couple of very specific decisions that gave me the best like kind of opportunity and kind of fit where I was at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people that it's it's a much better idea for them to stay at their day job and to do the side hustle. And so the one thing I just want to want, want like, point out there is like, I don't think it's necessarily if you're not willing to like quit and to go full time and you don't want to take on that risk. I don't think that means that like you necessarily don't like don't want it. Um, it's just more like you have to realize that, okay, by making that decision and playing it a little bit safer, it's going to take you longer to get to your goals. It may introduce risk in other ways. And mm-hmm. it's just simply a decision and every decision has consequences. Right. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. Then the other thing, Omar, that um, I just wanted wanted to touch on just really quickly because it's interesting that you brought it up. So mm-hmm. when I read the four-hour work week, mm-hmm. I read it back in 2007 when it first mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. and I was sure. playing poker competitively mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice. the exact wow. same story for you. That the big, the big, not even like the big difference, but when mm-hmm. I read that book, I had friends that were online that I would talk to on like the two plus two forums yeah. and like the different forums like online and. And I had friends that were actually living the digital nomad lifestyle. And so when I initially read that book, you know, a lot of my friends read it at the same time and they were like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. But like, I couldn't do that or it's not for me. And for me, I was like, no, 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 I can totally do that. I have friends that are totally doing that, that like, you know, I'm better at it than, than like in, you know, in poker or like, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I had that sort of like core belief that I could actually like live this lifestyle. It just took me, you know, eight or nine years after reading that book to finally like actually mm. leave the u.s and and, and so do all of them um, all of that stuff but yeah same um same sort of background and like story there so That's it, what it wasn't like a like a totally weird idea you're like okay i was already thinking about that but you know this book just kind of makes it concrete for me right yeah, well, I, I, I had never really considered it in terms of like doing like the nomad thing uh-huh. or being abroad. But like, as soon as I read the book, it put it into perspective. Gotcha. I was like, oh, that's what Steve is doing. Like, you know, I'd always thought it was weird that he was living in Costa Rica. And then I read this book. I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, okay. You know? So that's, that's weird, because I, uh, I mean, I guess I would call myself old school, uh, if, if you can say old school is in like, I, I read it, um, probably in 2008 ish, right after the book came out. So, yeah. And then when um, and people back then were um, because I think part of the book is a little bit figurative in that, like, who can really shrink 40 hours down to four? I mean, if you get halfway there, great. Right. But Mm -hmm. in that, like after I read that book, I was hardcore like, all right, fuck 40 hours. I'm working four hours a week. And then that was that was what really like like I I literally took his book literally like. And then I had mm. like my partner and other people would be like, Omar, he wasn't being serious in that book. And I'm like, no, no, I think he was. So from, from, from 11 years ago or 12 years ago, when I first read the book, I'm still in the process of literally creating that four hour work week and, and everyone in my life being like, no, you're retarded. He was not being serious. And I'm like, no, I think he was being literal in four hours. And so for the last decade of my life is like still trying to get there. Started, failed at least a couple businesses, many more stupid side hustles, but it, um, 
that book is kind of what started it all for me. It's like, all right, man, this guy did it. All right, I'm, I'm on my way there. And a lot of the same concepts and even the same programs are, are the ones that I use today. For example, I think it was that book that um, introduced me to uh, 99 Designs. And uh, Peter popped mm. out of here, so I'm going to have to readjust our, uh, our view here, which is fine. Peter, are you still there? No, Peter's gone. All right. Well, when he, if he pops on, it'll just be his uh, his audio. It's all good. All right. Well, you know when um, I know Peter introduced us, Amar, but when I looked on our um, our friends list, we have like some some mutual contacts from like probably different marketing groups and stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I imagine, um, you know, I, I call myself a troll in the most liberal sense, in that like I'm like trolling all over the internet and and things that I'm interested in. Like I've I've trolled spiritual forums, uh, religious forums, uh, marketing forums. So I think that um, maybe some some uh, some other traffic and funnel or, or um, web copy kind of um, we're we're in some mutual groups. Um, can you tell mm -hmm. us about your your marketing path? Um, you're obviously really good at marketing. Otherwise, you know your your companies wouldn't have succeeded. Can you tell us um, your path there? Where where did your marketing journey start? Where is it now? Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is so when we were starting ZenMade, it was essentially that um, that um, that I I had like the sales background. I'd actually run my own maid service um, mm -hmm. before um, before as as well. And so when we started ZenMade, my co-founder Arun, he was like, "I can build this product if you can go out and sell it." And then he was very confident in my ability to learn how to market. And so what was really interesting was that. Uh, the more that I got into marketing, the more that I realized that that's actually what I was passionate about, that like I knew that I didn't actually like doing sales, but I was mm -hmm. just like, okay, like if I can sell my own product, I obviously make a much better margin than if I'm selling someone else's product. So like if I'm going to use that skill set, it might as well be for like for my own, like my own benefit. Mm -hmm. But the more that I learned about it, the more that I really began to enjoy marketing. So when we started the company, I had no background at all in marketing. I had almost no mm -hmm. experience in marketing. You you know, hadn't been particularly effective as a marketer, um, as a marketer, you know, when I had like my maid service um, before that and everything. And since then, I've gone through and I'm very much just, you know, self-taught, right? That I taught myself copy. I learned Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, I've pretty much done everything in the company on the marketing side from like the ground up. And now I'm surrounded by like by a great team that does most of like most of the stuff. Um, so I just kind of get to come up with like with the big ideas and everything. But yeah, you know, lots of like lots of courses, um, mm -hmm. lots of just throwing things up on the wall and seeing like what sticks. Um, very much learning by doing. Gotcha. And I think that's really interesting. Could you talk more about um, having your own made business first? So it's, it seems like, all right, you, you kind of had it like in one vertical sector first. And then the idea to, you know, let's go everywhere with the software side of things. Where, how did one turn into the other? So I started my maid service after reading a thread on Reddit um, from a guy that, um, 
that was starting his own maid service and was um, essentially just just um, logging like the entire process. So I started a maid service following that, um, and I did that actually with um, with Peter. I don't know if you, if you remember um, Darren from, um, from from Orange County, but he he was my um, he was my business partner. Um, we ran in like in the in the same same circles back in the day. Um, Darren Jacks. No, remember I don't remember. No, oh, no God. Oh, yeah, he, he was he was one of my friends from the Bay Area that moved down to Orange County, and he was there for maybe like a year or two. So we ended up um, we ended up partnering on um, on that. Um, we ended up going like our own separate ways when I moved out of Orange County and moved back to um, to San Francisco um, for like for my day job. Um, he wasn't comfortable with me running the maid service remotely, even though we had set it up to actually be able to run remotely. Um, like, you know, in the year that we were running it, I think I'd met one client in person and one set of cleaners in person. And the rest of the time, everything was done, um, like, virtually. But he still wasn't, like, comfortable with that. And so um, and so I moved back up there. And then my friend Arun uh, approached me at some point and was just like, hey, you know, I think we should think about, like, starting a software company. And what's interesting with that is that we actually looked into quite a few ideas and we even did customer development in quite a few different industries before going back to the mm. maid service industry that um, we were concerned that with my experience in the maid service industry, that it would be um, it would be like a bit of a crutch that it would actually mm. make it like it, it might seem like we would have initial traction, but then it would actually be really difficult to sort of scale from there and everything. And then mm. when we finally went back to it, you know, we sort of got to it. And, um, you know, that was that was a big challenge for us. Right. It was initially I could get a lot of people on the phone by mm -hmm. just saying that I also like ran my own yeah. maid service. And then as soon as we had to sort of get past that point where we had to start actually marketing mm. to five or ten people at a time, mm. then people cared about that like a lot less and so that yeah. was like another hurdle that we had to um you had to do what, what, what a interesting story to to go to the beginning of your book is you're probably in the middle of the end book right like yeah the beginning of the company is well we actually explored many other sectors but we went back to uh the maid service now can you talk to us about that like um, I think that's amazing that you even recognize what your a potential strength could be a weakness at the beginning, right? Like, yeah, all right, um, Amar's got all these relationships, could, you know, get the revenue. But you also were like, well, let's back off a bit and just think, is this good for the bigger picture? I think like, wow, like what, uh, like when can a business and founders step back and actually do that? I think that's amazing. And what, um, like what other industries did you explore and and which ones did you say like nah before you came back to the the maid and the cleaning industry? Yeah, so we just um, we I mean we 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 tried to reach out to like dentists and lawyers and stuff like that that we were still looking for like kind of like a local local kind of like service business type um, that we were hoping would pay us like better margins and everything um, that you know Zen made customers pay us anywhere from like fifty to maybe $250 like a month. I think mm -hmm. we have one customer that pays us 500. Mm -hmm. If you work with like dentists or anyone in like a medical sort of field, you can you can, you can like easily be charging $500 a month like or more. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, we just didn't really get much traction. People didn't really mm -hmm. respond to us like all that well and, and, and all that. And so we struggled with that. And then um, as soon as we went back to the maid services, then it, um, it got um, got a lot a lot like easier and everything. Um, 
and uh yeah i mean i i, I don't know it was yeah. um yeah it was it, it was a challenge it was it was an uphill battle in the beginning so let's well look. i mean it was an uphill battle for the first like six years <laughs> of course i mean when is it not an uphill battle you know unless you're google and you have a monopoly right but so for for, for us little guys it's always an uphill battle um now i'm i am so interested in in uh a how how you took a obvious strength and actually being like well how could this be a crutch a weakness but let's talk about the strength right you having run and running a cleaning business you know the pain points of where the software can come in right so let's talk about that where you know where did you see the software solving a problem that that not only you but all your other um, friends and competitors in the same horizontal are experiencing what is that problem that itch that you're trying to scratch so um i mean it, it's funny because it, it, it's like you know how like your strengths become your weaknesses yeah. and sometimes your weaknesses become like your strengths Definitely. and that's kind of like everyone has to know themselves and mm -hmm. figure out you know how are they gonna like um uh sort of like come to come together and everything and so one of my biggest like traits is that I'm actually quite lazy, that I'm not actually like a very, Same, um, yeah. a very like hard worker. Me right. Too. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, um, it, um, that can actually play to your benefit if you're still focused on like the job at hand. So like what I always say is like, I hate doing things, but I love getting things done. Yeah. Right. And so, and so that's kind of like the balance that I've like that, 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 that I've found. And, um, and so when it came to starting the actual maid service, I was, I was like the one who was actually dealing with the clients, dealing with the cleaners, doing all of the scheduling, but I was working a full-time job. And so I couldn't really answer phone calls. Um, I pretty much only had a little bit of time at the beginning of the day before heading into work and then my lunch hour and then after work to actually work on the maid service. And so because of that, we tried to automate as many things as possible. So before Zen Maid, um, there weren't really any softwares that were out there that were really focused on kind of the communication aspect of working with clients and cleaners. And so like they would have that sort of functionality, but it wasn't like a primary feature. And so what we did is we came in and when we designed, like we designed like our own website that did all of this stuff for us. So someone would come on, they would book automatically on our website. They would get a quote. They would like confirm their booking, choose their time, all of that and then i would get a notification and all that i had to do was go okay this is the person that we're going to assign to this cleaning and then that person would immediately get notified that they now have this cleaning on their calendar for 2 p.m gotcha. right and so then our system would send a confirmation to the actual cleaning client it would um it would um, send a reminder to them. It would send an automatic follow-up, all of those things. And so what we did was we essentially designed it to the point where I could get on to essentially a website three times a day and be mainly running the maid service. It's like that was like 80 to like 90% of my job. And it was only if things mm -hmm. went wrong 
that um that like i would really have to like to step in Mm -hmm. and like and do anything and so Mm -hmm. that was like the core concept that we tried to um to build into um into zen Mm -hmm. and um in a lot of ways that was pretty much what we launched with like we launched with essentially an ultra basic calendar Mm -hmm. that just sent the exact reminders and the exact notifications that almost every maid service should be sending or um or um, or we're already sending, but we're sending manually. Gotcha. And I mean, I think I think the uh, amazing thread is um, I and I've heard this. It was either like some genius guy like Steve Jobs or or uh, Albert Einstein or someone had connected the laziness to a really good founder is that like, it, it's generally like the quote unquote laziest people that, that start the most amazing companies because they end up automating the things that nobody else thought to automate before, you know, and, it, and it's, uh, it's funny, but it's kind of true, right? You, you have the hustle mentality, right? But, but you have that inner drive to like not want to do anything. So it's, um, it, it could actually be like beneficial that you had that day job when you started it because it forced you to automate things to, to make it actually a functional business. So I think that's a really amazing theme, theme to touch on. Um, you, you kind of find that one of the founders has that inherent laziness that like, no, nah, I don't want to do all this work. How can we batch it? How can we automate it? How can we get a, ro- a robot to do the um, majority of yep. these things, right? I think that's yep. beautiful. Um, now let's, let's backtrack a little bit more. Amar, I don't think that you, you talked about what, um, why cleaning in the first place? Why, why did you even start the cleaning business to, to begin with before the software? So it, it was just that I came across that thread on. Oh on yeah, that's Reddit, right. The Reddit um, that, yeah. that, that, that I, that, that I'd mentioned, but the whole thing was like, I was just looking for like, I, I had always been looking for like various kind of side projects, right. That after reading yeah. the four hour work week, I knew that like I wanted to be running like my own thing and just be making money outside of a day job. That yeah. just like the idea of trading time for money, just, you know, never like really, like really mm-hmm. appealed. So I was always kind of on the lookout for those things. And so at that, it was just like good timing that, you know, I was kind of in between little like side projects. I wasn't so happy at my day job, came across that thread. And then me um, and, and a friend just decided to pull the trigger on it and um, and do that. Got, so, yeah. Gotcha. And the rest is history. I think that's a beautiful story because um, and, and like Peter, Peter's actually the one uh, I know Peter didn't make up this quote, but he said, you know, you can only connect the dots in hindsight. Right. But it, it's, mm. it's really interesting. Like if, if we, you know, stretch your path, every, it all seems obvious. But, you know, the decision at that point, to me, it seems really random. You know, that's why I'm asking you, like, why cleaning yeah. and, and not any other industry? Right. Like it, um, I yeah. like I'm just going to throw out some things. Did it seem like mm. like low hanging fruit, like an industry that not a lot of people are, are looking at? Because um, it's just, you know, one of those maybe blue collar type of work. And, and, you know, it's not one that I, you know, uh, for example, like real estate, a lot of people are trying to tackle the real estate listing stuff, you know, and uh, maybe just not a lot of people are, are going after cleaning. Like what made it what made it after you read that Reddit post, what jumped out and, and made it seem like such a good opportunity for the other ones that you were considering at the time? Well, do you mean for for the actual software, or do you mean for like, uh, no, just for the business that, that you started, right? Like you seem like a guy that could be successful doing many things, you know, or, or were you just trying a yeah. little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then seeing kind of what's stuck on the wall? Yeah. Um, 
Well, so so that that's another one that, like, in hindsight, I could like make something up. But yeah. the truth is, I didn't consider anything else. There was yeah. there was nothing else. Like, gotcha. it was no. just something that, like, I was just looking for kind of action to take, and like, um, you know, having a bias towards action, I think, is like a big thing that's helped me get to like to where I am, and I like yeah. even. Even a couple of years ago, I would say if I was going to restart something, it would probably just be kind of like whatever opportunity would come in front of me that like I thought was interesting or might work, then I would just try mm. it to just sort of move forward with it. Like now I'm at the point where, you know, the next business that I'm going to do is going to be something that I'm going to take a look at a lot of the numbers, look mm -hmm. at other opportunities, mm -hmm. figure out what I actually want to move forward with and everything. There mm -hmm. was none of that for a maid service. Like it mm -hmm. was none of that. It was literally as simple as like one guy was just laying out how he was going to start a maid service mm -hmm. and he was going to do it through digital marketing and without doing any of the cleaning himself. And I mm -hmm. just looked at that and I was like, I think that we can do that. I think that we can make that like successful or like it's worth trying. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that was it. Right. There was nothing else that, that was considered. That that uh, boys and girls at home, I'm, you know, don't, don't think that useless Reddit trolling is no good. Go spend your time on Reddit. You might find your next billion dollar idea. All right. Yeah. Just keep trolling Reddit. You might meet your future uh, co-founder on Reddit. There, there you go. No, that's a, that's a beautiful story, man. I, and I'm glad I kept pushing you with questions because you you I don't know if this is in a book or whatever, but the whole the whole bias towards action. I think that's a beautiful phrase that. I'm going to use mm -hmm. that after after today is that um, it's for, for someone like me, that's meaningful, right? Because I'm the kind of guy that will come up with with 10,000 dime, you know, dime a dozen ideas and not take action mm -hmm. on anything. Yeah. I don't know if you kind of vacillate back and forth or you've always been just like, you know what, let's just do something. And then um, I could use a little bit more of that action in my life. The bias towards action is that like you could think of an idea all day long, but you don't really get in anywhere unless you you take some action steps. And I think yeah, that's exactly. important. That's an important lesson for any entrepreneurs. How how is that theme kind of fit into your life? And do you still kind of go by that today in terms of your daily um, business? I think it goes in cycles, at least for me, that I had a long time where I was much more like talk than walk, right? Mm -hmm. That I was like much more, you know, talking about all the ideas that I would do, but then I wouldn't take action. And so then at some point I went through like a phase um, where I just like stopped talking about what I was doing. And I was just like, all right, like action is just going to do the talking here. Right. But like, that's not actually sustainable. Anyone that just goes, Oh, like if you just do the work, then people will recognize you. It's like, yeah, but you still have to get lucky at some point and someone has to recognize your work and then they have to do the mm -hmm. talking. And so now it's like kind of like a balance wow. for me, but I, I had a lot of time where I, yeah, would, would, would just be going through different ideas. I would talk about all the things that I was going to do, but then it would never actually, never actually materialize and never actually happen. And so then at some point I was like, all right, it's time to just like move forward on stuff. Um, and I, I also think that when you have that bias towards action, it accelerates your learning. And mm. so like, if you're someone that's maybe stuck and isn't happy with like sort of the results that they're getting in life, having a bias towards action will likely change that. Mm. But then there will be a point in time where if you have too strong of a bias towards action, then you begin to bite off more than you can chew. I and see. so I'm in that like position now where like I, you know, I just like bought another software company 
in June Mm -hmm. because things were just sort of low and then made. And like, you know, with COVID going on, I just like felt like I had all this time on my hands. And that was very much a bias towards action, right? If I was just like, oh, I saw this opportunity. I think it's like a good company. We use a tool that's like this. And so I like just made it happen, Mm. you know, put together a couple thousand dollars, like $20,000 and like bought like this company. But like now that I've bought it now, like I've realized that like actually the amount of like effort that we have to put in to get it from like where it is to where we want it to be is just a massive distraction when we also have Zen made that's growing at a very fast pace and all of that stuff. And so that's some place where like, the bias towards action kind of bit me in the ass a little bit at the same time though i learned a ton and i know exactly why this was the wrong purchase to make so i'm likely going to resell it take like you know a decent like loss on it or whatever but i'm much more informed for like the next sort of like company that i'm going to move forward Mm -hmm. with right and i don't Mm -hmm. plan on starting another one i plan on buying like the next company and then like scaling it rather than trying to go from zero Mm -hmm you know, to whatever. And I mean, it, talk about like taking a haircut, having to sell, but I mean, in what market can you like buy an entire company for $20,000 or was this just the loan amount or, or what are we talking about? Um, well, so um, it, it's more like buying, like maybe it's a bit generous to call it, to call it like a company. Yeah. Right. But like I essentially bought like a working software product. Yeah right that like the developer had built it he wasn't really like he'd built it three or four years ago gotcha wasn't doing anything with it yeah he'd had customers in the past but they had like all like stopped using it like over time even though he had a working product and i just came in dropped him a message and he was just like yeah you know like i I spent about twenty thousand dollars like developing this just like out of my own time if you want to um you know if you want to pay that you can you can just buy that and um and yeah, but but one thing I would I would like note there is like you can buy companies for a lot less than you would than than you would like think. Yeah. Um, and like like the other thing there is like I didn't have twenty thousand dollars when I bought this, right? Yeah. Like I had to go to a couple people. I had to negotiate with him so we could make it in two installments so that I could use a couple of paychecks to actually pay it off. Yeah. But it was another one of those ones where I just believed that it was possible and was like, I want to buy this. I'm going to find a way. Mm. And you know that's exactly what like what what happened so that's a great story too man thanks for just being open and and willing to share some of the behind the scenes here um i'm i'm really curious was this a uh uh, you live in the u.s or your citizenship is in the u.s i imagine right was this um business entity or person located in the u.s or was it like an overseas transaction um, no, in the in the U.S. as okay, well. Okay. We just did a, a bank bank transfer. Gotcha. Like, it makes it a, li- a little yeah. bit easier. Not not that you'd be opposed to like a foreign, but I, that's totally possible when you're dealing with software and things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And it depends on like how far along you are. Cause like he wasn't actually like incorporated, so mm-hmm. really like I bought the website, the code base, yeah. right, and like a couple other like couple other assets like the Twitter account and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, um, that like we didn't have to do any like um, any like legal paperwork for it I or anything, you. right? It was just like a transfer. Well, that, that's got to be a, a different kind of valuation in terms of, you know, you could value, evaluate as its business, but if you're using the tools internally, then it's it's a different valuation, right? Because it's worth something yeah. to you internally. So it doesn't have to be a profitable company ever for it to be useful for, for you guys, I imagine. Well, at least at the time that you bought it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, we use one of their competitors actually, which uh-huh. um, I tried to buy. I tried to buy the competitor that we use, and they just quoted me a ridiculous amount of money for how much they were actually um, they were actually making. So I went out to their competitors and then mm-hmm. found this one to buy, like to buy instead. But um, you know, it's um, it's uh, it was a good learning experience, mm-hmm. right? Like we're gonna take a loss on it, and like in hindsight, I wouldn't have bought it, but I also like that hindsight, like, you know, clarity is because mm-hmm. I made that decision and actually learned from it. So, right. you know, no, no, I, I do know, man, because, um, now think about this because and Peter's forced me to think about some of these things too, by, by forcing that hindsight question is that like, yeah, right. You could say, okay, well, I wouldn't have done this, but, but would you really have changed things? Cause you're sitting today, right. A more intelligent guy, a more informed man, because of that decision. So would you trade that experience, right? For So sometimes mm. it's like, nah, man, I just do it exactly as I would have done it and I'm cool where I'm yeah. at now, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it's the, the, the other thing is like, one thing that I think a lot of people um, struggle with and maybe, maybe you, you have to like, I, I think this is what kind of makes like entrepreneurs a little bit different is just like looking at risk and perspective in like in different ways is like, it's perfectly okay to be like, that was a mistake and it's a mistake that I would make again. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like if I Mm -hmm. could do it all over again, like I would still make that mistake based on like the information. Like I guess actually, so um, for for you with your background in poker Mm -hmm. is like, this is one of those things that um, I feel like a lot of like, I don't know, just like regular people don't really yeah, understand right. I this know much. Where you're like, going with this. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you have pocket aces. You've got to put your money, your money in because you're statistically ahead. And just because you lose with that hand doesn't mean that you made a wrong decision. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that, that you like made a mistake or that you set your money on fire. It's like, no, I put my money in while I was ahead and it didn't work out for me this mm-hmm. time. Right. And so that, that's like the sort of thing, you know, that, that I look at like with, with this is like, this is something that, you know, I spent $20,000. And like, the truth is it had a lot of upside, you know, it had the potential that it could have been like a lot more. There are a couple factors that I wasn't aware of, you know, that, that like, maybe I should have been, but now I am. And maybe that changes, you know, the play that I make like the next time. Right. Yeah. Or maybe I just do it exactly the same yeah. and see if it works out differently. So, no, I think that I'm, I'm so glad that you brought poker into the example and that I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to someone that will understand a poker analogy because yeah, I want yeah. I want to bring up an an analogy um, to kind of go off that point in that like most people can understand the aces example right because it it makes mm-hmm. sense right the one that um, and I'm I'm a big Doug Polk fanboy I don't know if if um, mm. if Doug Polk Doug Polk is a, a family name to the audience but uh, Doug Polk actually he he was off the scene for two or three years his um his coaching company Upswing might be more familiar, but he just recently challenged Daniel Negreanu to a heads-up battle. They're right in the middle of it. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Dan, um, Doug Polk was like heads-up champion back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of retired from poker, but he came back in, and him and Daniel Negreanu are, are doing this heads-up battle. Um, but l- long story short, man, um, from Doug Polk, right? Uh, a lot of if anyone watches his training videos or just his his real surface level YouTube stuff, like he'll he'll say things like, "Yeah, you have to call that river, even though you you lost this hand," or for example, like he'll be reviewing um, some hand that some pro played online, mm-hmm. and he'll say, "Yeah, they should have called the river, even though they lost. 
you have to call the river like 50% of the time with that particular hand. And most people are like, are you, are you crazy? Like, that's a stupid hand to call. Like, why would you call with ace high or something like that? Mm -hmm. And then the, the theory is that, well, if you always fold, your opponent knows you always fold in that spot. Yeah. And so you have to call at least some percentages of the time with some mediocre hand on the river, which yeah. is why you can justify right calling off with with fucking ace high and the other person shows up with the nuts and then you have Doug Polk yeah. saying here well hey man it's a mistake but it's a mistake i would keep making 25% of the time right so yeah. um and that to really drive home that point for anyone that even knows half of what we're, we're talking about but no i um yeah. i love that i can connect poker with you it's it's really really cool <laughs> um it's not every day that you meet a, a, an entrepreneur that's also a, a former poker player um yeah honestly it's played a huge part in my entrepreneurial like um journey um particularly from the mindset perspective because like i've had days where i've lost you know two three months of rent in a single day like playing poker and like when i'm used to that a lot of my team members you know they don't understand how i remain calm particularly <laughs> when things don't go like our way yeah. and i'm just like you know things aren't going our way. So like, we're not going to grow for a week. Like, you know, you have no idea what it's like to like lose your livelihood after like spending a bunch of, you know, like this is just, this is nothing compared to like the emotional swings I went through with poker. <laughs> I hear you, man. Um, what, man, it so sounds like you got pretty good. You know what, um, what, what's your history with poker at least? Like when did you start or what, what level did you get to? You know, did you always yeah. just see it as a side hustle? Did you ever take it super serious? So I, I took it really seriously, but I was never really in like the like the kind of like the upper sort of like sort of like levels and everything. Um, the other big thing was that I. Uh, so, yeah, so, so essentially like I, I was playing back in like the like what, 2003, 2004, when like Chris Moneymaker, mm -hmm. you know, was on ESPN mm -hmm. and it was like the hot like new things. Mm -hmm. There were just like a bunch of fish drowning. Mm -hmm. um, and I was playing then and like, you know, playing like what, one, two and like two, four tables mm -hmm. on like on poker stars and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Um, it's funny because like I'm, I'm ADD and I really struggle to focus on stuff. But when I find something that catches my attention, I can just focus on it 100 percent for hours. And poker was that thing for me when I was in high school. So I took mm -hmm. it very seriously. But then when I got to college, um it it just it became quite unhealthy for me that like um too often my my mood was dictated mm. across my entire life by how i was doing at the tables I right and that like it, if yeah. i had a good day yeah then like i'd be happy the rest of the day and if i had a bad day then i'd be like miserable and like snapping at people and stuff like that and i just realized that it was sort of going like too much um like that direction yeah. and so i ended up I think it was I ended up like taking a break from it. And then right around then was, I think, um, what was it called? Like Black Friday or whatever, when they sort of oh, like outlawed poker yeah. in the U.S. And so then it was like the only people that were still online playing were the ones that were serious enough to have a VPN or to be international and playing. Yeah. And so then it was like all of a sudden, you know, what was a 2-4 level that you'd make a bunch of money off of like fish or whatever became like the 50 cents $1 yeah. level. And so then, 
like I just didn't enjoy it as much and all of that. But, you know, I mean, it paid for like beer money and like fraternity um, like fees and in college for like for 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 a bit. But um, yeah, I I do credit it a lot like for for a lot of like my success, like with with Zen made and a lot of like other areas of life. But like I I was never like particularly good, you know, Mm -hmm. like made a little bit of money. But I mean, like. I was good compared to your average citizen. I was never really good compared to like your average, like good poker player, you know? I hear you. And uh, do you still feel like the the poker itch? You ever just want to jump back in, blow off a few hundred bucks or it doesn't eat at you anymore? No, I mean, um, like what's funny is that like I'd I'd like completely, completely stopped that I hadn't played for like seven or eight years. And then last year I got married in Las Vegas. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I got married in Las Vegas of, um, of, of all places and um, just had like a, like a, just a couple of days of just like nonstop, just like family, friends, like and I was just completely like out of it. And I actually went to one of the poker tables and just sat down, you know, lost like $40, but you know, just enjoyed myself. I was listening to a book and just kind of, you know, playing my hands and everything. And that was literally my first time playing in like eight or nine, like eight or nine years. Um, so yeah, it's probably more of a time thing. It's just more that I know it would be a huge time suck. And I just, I just don't really want to get back into that. So, you know, I I I miss it sometimes. I I relate to certain parts of your story. Like, and I think it's, don't you think it's amazing where, um, you can be like, hyper focused on a thing like poker right and then oh black friday hits okay we'll find something else and just switch like it might seem normal to you do people in your life have things to say about that like how do you just and not think back on it you know when you're doing it people are like well he's addicted but you yourself know well no it's just this is my thing and then when i switch focus i switch focus right yeah it was kind of um it's kind of funny. I don't really hang out with too many of like the, 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 the poker, like people like anymore. Like I, I can't remember the last time that I like talked about poker. It's a real like, degenerate you know, crowd. I don't blame you. <laughs> it, really, it really is. It really, really is. <laughs> you don't want to make too many poker friends. Okay. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. yeah, let's just leave it at that. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a, uh, it's an underground world, you know, it's, um, yeah. it's a weird place to be, whether you're doing it live, actually worse, man. If you're, you're going to trying to find live action, it's just like you putting oh, yourself man, in yeah. weird, dangerous situations, depending on what home game or what casino you're playing at. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, and like, yeah, the casinos where they like pump in like oxygen or whatever. And do you they just really do that? Or is this like, is this, in the morning. do they really do that at the casinos pump in oxygen? To yeah. Keep your, when they oh, do yeah, that, yeah, no yeah. Way. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they definitely, they definitely do. I mean, it's probably got to oh. be like a specific level of casino, yeah, but they, yeah. they definitely, they definitely do that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Ah, good times, good times. Like I said, it, it, it's shaped a lot of the stuff. It, it you know, it, it makes a lot of things in life just seem like a lot, a lot easier. That I feel like there's a lot of just like poker kind of like basics or almost like mental models that I use. You know, of like expected value yeah. is like is a big one, right? Like yeah, you know, just putting your money in when you're ahead and like. Um, I mean, honestly, the biggest one is not being results oriented, right? Of like, just because you lose a hand doesn't mean that you made like the wrong decision. And that's something that like way too many people don't understand. Like the number of times that like we run like a marketing campaign for Zenmade 
and it falls flat in its face. And I've got like developer friends that have their own SaaS companies. And so they just think like developers and they just think that like, oh, like if you put in the code, then like you get this result and it's just like that simple. And they're like, that's all that marketing is. And you're like, no, like that's not marketing. Like marketing is not an exact science. You take bets, you take shots that you miss mm -hmm. all the time. And sometimes you have to do 10 or 20 marketing campaigns. And the one that works is like, you know, a hundred times the results and stuff like that. So yeah, sh shapes a lot of my thinking. I, I love that perspective, man. Um, I, I definitely, I mean, I can align with that. Now, let me ask you this. Where uh, where, where are you at with having someone or, or multiple people on your team that, that supplement you? Whereas, you know, we were talking about earlier where sometimes you have a too much of a bias towards action. Are there people on your team, the more conservative ones? Is there a yin and, and the yang as far as founder, co-founder, or who on your team kind of help, helps bring you back or helps you see the other side of the coin? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so right now, that's probably mainly like my wife, um, that my wife, um, she leads our marketing now. So I mean, our, our team at ZenMate is now like 25 people. So wow. we've got like a pretty, a pretty like big team at this, um, at, at this point. It's a lot of people that are like part time. And then there's maybe four or five of us that pretty much like ZenMate is just 100% like what we, um, mm -hmm. what we do. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting because the company, particularly over time, it kind of goes through cycles of being very reflective of my weaknesses or very reflective mm -hmm. of my strengths. Mm -hmm. And so right now we're kind of in like one of those positions where there's just a lot of moving parts. So when I decide that we're going to do something, it usually has to go through three levels of people to actually get mm -hmm. done. And so that forces me to slow down a lot. Right. Um, and so yeah, I mean, but but we, we definitely have mm -hmm. a lot of kind of checks and balances like in place. And like a lot of times, you know, I'm even asking myself, OK, what's the effort there? What's mm -hmm. the opportunity cost? You mm -hmm. know, if I ask like the development team to do this, what does that mean that they're not doing in mm -hmm. that time? And so a lot of it has been like self growth, like on, on my part. Mm -hmm. But I still have a very strong bias to action, particularly when it's the kind of thing that either I can do 100 percent on my own or I have access to like the resource within the team to get something done like within a day mm -hmm. i'm much less likely now though to be like okay we're going to spend the next four weeks working on this idea that i just had mm -hmm. if we do something like that it's usually like okay we can get a proof of concept out in the next 24 hours and then we can see how it goes and if it goes well then we can put in more resources mm -hmm. into it gotcha thank, thank you for sharing that have you uh have you read and i only read this recently but i apparently um jeff bezos has this 70% uh, of information rule where if uh, he considers that enough information to make a decision, meaning, um, mm. you know, we can never be 100% sure or have 100% of information before we take action. And I just read this yeah. article four to six weeks ago, and apparently he's lived by this for a long time, but I just read it in the article where, where Jeff Bezos says, okay, 70, if I know 70% of the, the whatever issue, that's enough for me to say yay or nay, or make a decision one way or another. I feel like that's kind of, you reminded me of, of Mr. Amazon over here because your decision, yeah. decision, decision, and that like you don't require 100% information. And I feel like the, the other, the very conservative guy is, is like, you know, the Mr. Accountant is like, no, no, I don't want to do anything unless I know 100% how things are going to turn out, right? Yeah. Exactly. And that's one. I mean, yeah. So I, I've read a lot of stuff on Bezos. He's got a lot of very good 
um, like mental models that can help a lot with decision making and um, sort of how to think about a lot of things. And mm-hmm. I, I think Jeff Bezos is actually one of those like I, I put him up there with like Elon Musk mm-hmm. and like and like Steve Jobs and some of those other entrepreneurs that just the way that they think about things is um is very like unique and impressive, but I feel like with Jeff Bezos, it's easier to emulate that mm. he's like much more sort of human in like his decision making. Mm. But what's funny is like what you just mentioned there, I credit that a lot more to poker than anything mm. else. It's like, I'm, I'm just used to like, you know, mm. in poker, it's always an incomplete information mm. game, right? Like you never know what the other person has. And like, the truth is, is like, that's real life. You know, and like I said, I have like developer, you know, founder friends and they want to be able to know what the ROI is going to be on some marketing campaign before Mm. it goes live Mm. or they don't want to invest resources unless they know that it's going to work. And it's just like, dude, like that that's not the way the way that it works. You know, like Mm -hmm. the only thing I know for sure is that if I take enough shots, something will work. Right. And like, you know, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I've actually heard that 70 percent one, but that, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of um, a, a lot of sense. Like the, the other one that I like from from Bezos is um, disagree and commit. Disagree. Right. Is like when you go, you know, like like I don't think that that's the right marketing campaign to, to like to, you know, to, to move forward with. But like, but let's do it. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really, really powerful one because um, it, it, it stops particularly in companies like ours, it stops like bureaucracy or like needing there to be like a democratic decision, which Mm. really bothers me is Mm. I hate it when you have to have everyone's buy-in because when you have to have everyone's buy-in, you only take the safest shots. And like, Mm. it's the big risks that you take, right? Or the things that are less likely to work that usually have the biggest impact on a company. Mm. That, that's amazing. Now, now, kind of going off all that, uh, we, I know we just kind of, you just kind of talked about a lot and just, you know, maybe one paragraph's worth of sentences, right? But um, is there any, uh, or at least top two books you would recommend that kind of talks about the things or where, where did you derive all this life in, in business wisdom from? Um, or is it, are you yeah. just kind of paraphrasing it from what you already know? Well, so I'm mainly paraphrasing it from a lot of books and stuff that yeah. like that, that that I've read. That I read, I read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably read two to three books a week. I would say wow. um, that I I use um, I use Audible, so I just listen to wow. like books on Audible at like two two point five like speed and just wow. go through them like really fast. Um, I completely let go of like a lot of people try to read and they try to remember every single thing from like from the book that they're used to it being almost like an academic way of reading. And I've just found that just Mm. most of the time, if I take a book that's about Jeff Bezos, I can listen to it. I can zone out of the book. I don't give a shit what year he was born. That doesn't matter to me, but I can take away some really big ideas about how he thinks about things. Right. So there's a couple really good books about, um, about mental models. I think it's called the, is it because of the great mental models or something? Okay. Um, there, 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 there's a book by, um, by, by Shane Parrish, um, who runs Farnham street. And he's written a lot about Jeff Bezos and Jeff Bezos is like mental models. Okay. Um, so there, there's that one. There's the mental models book by, um, 
I want to see if Gabriel Weinberg or something. It's it's the dude the dude that um that's the founder of um of DuckDuckGo, the okay. Google competitor. Okay. Um, he wrote a book on mental models as well. Okay. Uh, there's Principles by Ray Dalio, which is a really great sort of like um, book that's about sort of how to think about like decisions in your life and then how to even turn them into like a process or like mm-hmm. or a system. And then um, and then three three biographies that I would recommend would be Jobs by Walter Isaacson, um, Musk by Ashley Vance, and uh, I think it's I think it's one click. Or the Everything Store. Those are two books that are both about Jeff Bezos and kind of the Amazon Empire, and wow. both of them are worth like worth, worth reading. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's a I, I read a lot, obviously. <laughs> you Man, know, I never yeah, did before, I'm so but now like, I do. <laughs> if we were if we were running the book marathon, damn, bro, you'd be at the finish line, and I would have barely just started. That make, but I'm gonna, you know, if I can take anything from a page from your book, so to speak, is that to uh, be less less academic and more just be willing to listen to it at double speed just to get through the book. I I think just kind of what the inability to take action, like literally if I just would start the book and be willing to just listen to it, I'd be making my way through so many books versus, you know, if I wait until it's the perfect time to read, then no books will ever get read. So it's yeah. kind of finding that balance is like, do I want to read this like an academic book and take notes? All right, no more of that. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna yeah. take a page from yours and Peter's book. Peter's been pushing me to listen to all these audio books. I'm like, where? What, when can I do this? I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do it like you guys and just you know listen, make background noise. If I pick up a lesson here and there, great. If I don't yeah, hear exactly. Bezos's birthday, who cares, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, because yeah, there's there's two things like there just just like really quickly is so like one thing is so in terms of just like speeding it up like you can um you know if you just start listening at one speed and then like take one of your favorite books from back in the day or a book that you already know is really good and Mm. then listen to that at 1.1 speed and then for your next like new book listen to it at 1.1 speed yeah you work your way up to it because like for me like I could, I listen at 2.5 speed and it's completely normal to okay. me. Like I pick up on all the tonality that the okay. author's using. Like to me, it just sounds completely like completely normal. But um, a big thing, uh, you know, off of like what, what you were just saying is one of the problems that a lot of people struggle with and it's where the bias towards action is so important is that so many people are exactly like what you were just saying of like, it's like, Oh, when am I going to have the time? Like if I, you know, if I'm going to read this book, I need to really sit down and like write it down. And for me, it was just like, um, like a kind of like a realism thing was that just at some point I was just like, you know what, like realistically, I don't read any of these books. I don't sit down. I don't read them. Like it just, it never happens. I can keep telling myself that it's going to, I can keep trying to set aside time, but the truth is it just, it never like ever happens. If it did, I wouldn't have read one book in the past three years. Mm -hmm. And so at some point it was just like, I'd rather get 80% of something than a hundred percent of nothing. And so for me, I just listened to books because, because like that's better and I have friends that are like oh but like you don't remember this detail and I'm like yeah because that detail doesn't affect my life at all right like I've got the big idea and I can now take it to like the next like decision that I make mm-hmm. but I can't tell you when he was born because like who gives a shit right mm-hmm. like no no one cares I can just google that if I need that like that that information um and then the, the last thing is that particularly when you speed the books up, one of the best things about it is that like I have a list of books 
to reread. So mm-hmm. I go through so many mm-hmm. books, but then I have a couple of books that I'm like, you know what, like that book was actually good enough that at some point I'm going to sit down and listen to it in more detail and mm-hmm. pay attention to it mm-hmm. because I know that there were a lot of great lessons that I can take from it. Um, and then last thing, sorry, a bit of a bit of a tangent here, but like um, you, you guys have heard like the saying of, um, of, of no man crosses the same river twice, right? For, for the man is different and the river has changed. Mm-hmm. And I find it's the exact same thing with books is like I can reread principles, which I've already read. Uh, this is my wife, by the way, right there um, that um, um, I can um, I can like like I've already read principles, I think, two or three times. But every time that I read it, because I'm at a different place in my life, I take away different things from the book. Mm. And so in that sense, it's like, you know, if you're just going to the gym, you can listen to music or you can listen to a book and there's oh nothing wrong with doing either. Never thought of that. I, I never thought of yeah. a book is my mind blown. I can't believe <laughs> this. Is my, my biggest takeaway for, I don't know about the other young hustlers or whoever trying to get business <laughs> advice from a founder. But for me, that's the biggest takeaway is how, how are, how are these entrepreneurs that say they read a hundred books? A year, how are they doing it? This is, I mean, this yeah. is the how, like I hear people brag about it. Like, Oh great. Okay. You read, two books a week great but this is how it's done yeah i kind of i kind of think that most of them are lying to be honest i feel like i'm the only one that like actually <laughs> right. like, actually does that like because yeah, i don't know like i just you know right now like at this oh. point it's like i spend maybe two to three hours a day like working and then the rest of my day it's like i'm going into the gym twice a day right now mainly mm. because i just have good books that i'm listening to so i'm just like yeah i'll just go spend an hour like pretending to lift weights you know like i'm just listening to my book the entire time you I know want, so. Amar, i want you to hold me to that when we talk in 30 days i want i want you to be like what one or two books did you actually read omar read. and just at least yeah. keep me accountable okay it's about the accountability yeah. i say i'm gonna do it don't let me end this recording and, and not actually do that and okay? not Right. Um, well, let's, uh, man, I've got a bunch of questions, but I mean, we're close to the hour, so I'm just going to move to some things that I was, I was dying to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. you talked Zen made to death. I might ask you a couple additional questions, but before we, we talk about Zen made some more, um, what's a cause that you might be passionate about that may not be obvious to everybody that, that knows you or even friends or family, or, or maybe it is to them, but the, the general public wouldn't know. Um, what, what's like, if I gave you a megaphone, not that this podcast is a megaphone, but Mm -hmm. imagine I Mm -hmm. get as popular as Joe Rogan one day, what is the uh, (laughs) other message that you would want to get, um, shout to the world? I don't actually know. I mean, it's, it's probably just something of like, I feel like anyone that's listening to this, it's like, you can go out and create the life that like that, that, that you want to, and it'll likely take you three to five times longer than you want it to. But I think the, the real, like the adage is like everyone, like, what is it? They like, they overestimate what they can do in like, in a week or a month, but they underestimate what they can do in a year. And I think that's particularly true when it comes to like fitness, for example, Mm -hmm. right. That I've been on a fitness journey for some time. It's taken so long, but now I'm beginning to actually like Mm -hmm. see those results. And I look completely different than I did, Mm -hmm. um, than I did a year ago Mm -hmm. when it comes to business. I think it's actually people completely overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, Mm -hmm. but completely underestimate what they can accomplish in five years Mm. and i just think that if more people sort of had like that mindset of just like if you take enough shots 
over time something will work and it'll be completely worth it no matter how many times you fail up until that point mm-hmm. i just think the world would be like a much a much better place you know i i, I mean great that you tie the business analogy into a fitness one that everybody can internally understand right that mm-hmm. the um it's exactly the same but the business is stretched out a little bit farther so the one year in business is kind of similar to the the one week or the one month in real life um, that, yeah. that's amazing. I don't know if you just like came up with that on, on the spot, but that, that's a kind of a beautiful analogy right there. And, and no, I actually never heard the, the, the phrase, no man crosses the same river twice. I was nodding my head oh, just, really? to, <laughs> just to try to seem smart, but I, I had to write it down because I'm like, I get it. But I mean, yeah. dumb me, I haven't read the book that that, that came from, or, or maybe I should have read it in high school, but um, I, I don't know where that one came from. Yeah. I have no idea. That's that's kind of the thing. It's sometimes like you know, you ask me a question, I give you an answer, and I'm like, where did that thought come from? You know, I'm I'm sure I read it somewhere. Yeah. It's just I read so many books, I can't credit it. On, so. Yeah. On that same note, I have to um, just guess that that you have a strong intuition that on the um, the Myers Briggs, you 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 you're you're an N, you know, for intuition. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever taken the Myers Briggs. Do you know your personality type? ENTP, I think. Okay, no, that, I'm, that, I'm, I, I, I think it might be ENTJ. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I would. The ENTP sounds right to me because the, um, mm. I mean, there's a lot of difference between the, the the last letter. It can mean a bunch of different things, but the mm. the P's are more of the um, the more open to possibilities, the ones that are generating the ideas. But then also the J's are the ones that kind of take action. So it could be one one or the other. The, the reason so you might actually be a J because you're very much uh, biased towards action versus inaction but I, I know the end for sure because the, the the intuitive types are the ones that, that just have that gut feeling it could be logical you could be drawing from like subconscious things or or things you read 10 yeah. years ago right but sometimes the, the intuitives are, are good at just taking random concepts and smashing them together like you have just done in person so I'm gonna yeah, yeah. I would hard say you're you're an intuitive. Um, you can tell us you're an extrovert. So, um, I don't yeah. know, like for me, I'm an introvert, but people might not get that when I'm on the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm being, being a host, but so you shared that yeah. you're, you're an extrovert, you identify as an extrovert. So I, th- I think there's yeah. a good case for ENTP or based on what you've already said, ENTJ makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. and, and some, yeah, well, it, it changes over time, it, right? Course, but I think yeah, as your personality changes and stuff like that, so I'm pretty sure yeah. that I've tested for both of those. So I don't know what it is now. It's not an um, exact science. Also, you can't yeah. just box people in, but it's a good yeah. kind of starting ground for, for kind of relating mm. with different people at least. Um, yeah, it's but, certainly better than horoscopes. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. I don't like my, you know, and I wanted to say like, I, just got engaged, you know, so I, cause I saw the ring on your finger. So yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's, so I wanted to say congratulations, not just the random one, but from a newly engaged guy to a guy that just Congrats, got married man. it. Like, you know, that's awesome. like, like congratulations yeah. for real, man. Like I'm right behind you, yeah. brother. Um, no, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, while, while we have a few minutes left, let me ask you, mm-hmm. um, what is the most like meaningful, marketing story uh leave it kind of open what like along the path what was something that like maybe like your company almost sunk and you you brought it back from the brink or what some kind of uh, meaningful marketing story uh whatever that question means to you yeah well so the, there, there's two there's two things there so like we had <clears throat> 
we had where we almost like um, we we almost just completely blew up the company that we we launched like a big redesign that we spent fifty sixty thousand dollars on over like maybe a year um, that we just invested a ton of resources into mm-hmm. and the actual relaunch of it like the redesign itself was good but the relaunch um, where we sort of took it from the old design to the new design was just a complete nightmare we lost like forty percent mm-hmm. of like of our business oh, over the following like maybe like three to six months um and so that was like a pretty big one that when we made it through that it was kind of like if we can make it through this then we can make Mm. it through um through anything um learned a lot about communication and Mm. everything through that that like it could have been a lot worse but we actually like came through it quite like strong um of like i was kind of like explaining and like publicly very much like okay like you know we're working on it we've made this mistake like here's what we can do to help you like while the system is down and blah 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 and like that was in stark contrast to one of our competitors that had a very similar situation that um that um that happened and they essentially like locked down their facebook group and stopped allowing people to post because everyone was bitching about how horribly they'd done this Mm. and they just kind of went radio silent and then just kind of hoped that it would like blow over um so we had like that like situation um you'd ask about marketing specifically and with, with that um and I'll, I'll, I'll keep, keep this like short is so I think about marketing as marketing is any time that you're helping your audience and not asking for anything in return. So the fact okay. that people can listen to this podcast for free is a form of marketing for you and Peter. Um, even like, even if you guys have nothing to sell right now, if you guys do have something to sell in the future, then the podcast is a perfect marketing like mm. channel or marketing, um, marketing um kind of strategy because you're delivering people value for free Mm. and so for zenmade our big Mm. one that really really took off for us is we now run the um the made summit so if you go to madesummit.com we were the first ones to do a big virtual conference where we brought together 40 or 45 of like the biggest like consultants and coaches um, Mm. in the industry and just personalities in the industry to all give 30 to like, you know, hour long talks um, and, and essentially just add a ton of value to the industry 100% for free. So anyone could join that. We charged for the replays after, but that was like a big one of like, that was when we like really, really nailed it. And wow. we weren't sure that we were going to. We put in a lot of resources, like we thought that it would work really well, but I mean, we had 3000 people, you know, that registered for that. And we were just the talk of the industry for wow, like for, for a week. And so, yeah, that's probably the biggest like marketing thing that we've done. Thank you for sharing. I did not think I was going to dig that gem out of you, man. I'm, I'm glad I, I asked some weird questions that I'm like, well, maybe he will or won't have an answer for that. Man, you like hit yeah. a grand slam for me. I'm like, well, maybe he won't have an answer, but that is an amazing answer, bro. Like, um, give. I think you've given a, a lot of uh, aspiring young hustlers some ideas for what they could potentially do for their own businesses. I'm thinking of of some summit I could do for some one of my side hustles. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, how how did that summit idea come about? And you know, like what what made you guys like how from start to finish? Like what like what made you think it could or couldn't be a big hit? Just talking tying the whole podcast together. I mean, you you probably didn't know the exact ROI, but you're like, let's take the shot. Yeah. So um, 
So because I really enjoy marketing, I've just always been like marketing is pretty much what I wake up thinking about that I'm always trying to like to figure out, you know, like I I just I find marketing fun and I find a lot of the stuff that we do for the marketing is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But if if you guys follow me like on on Twitter, um, I posted about it a couple of weeks ago, but we we, we got like um, I don't know if you guys know Fiverr Jesus. Have you guys seen seen that dude? There's like I've um, been wanting to hire him, actually. I don't know if it's the same one. But I was, I was, yeah, dude. You, oh my, I can't it's, believe it's, 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 I was gonna hire that guy. Him. Yeah, it's it's probably it's probably him. We paid twenty two dollars, and there's like a video online of um of him going like, "Hey, it's Jesus." You know, we heard that you might think that you know I wouldn't endorse Zenmade because of their Buddhist like Buddhist undertones, but like nothing could be further from the truth. You know, like I've seen every maid service software ever. You know, Zenmade's the best, right? And we we got this like entire commercial oh, like made. we can't run it because like our 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 um our audience is just like way too like too Christian and like really? conservative and everything so like we haven't like used it but but yeah but like those are the sort of like fun things that i do that i just think of things like that i just spent a morning writing a script and then sending that over and like (laughs) everyone that i send that to is like fucking brilliant you know it's like best 22 dollars that i've like ever ever like spent or whatever but anyway sorry that was like a random like random tangent but um man i want to see that uh, ad where can i go if i want to see the ad it's uh just go to uh, twitter.com slash it's just amar so i-t-s-j-u-s-t-a-m-a-r um that's like my twitter handle and right. it should be like near the top because I, ju- I just tweeted about that um yesterday so it'll be like near, oh, near the top man. i'll send i'll send it to you guys like after sure. you can put it in like the show notes or, sure, um, or sure. whatnot yeah. but um with, with the summit it's one of those things where our industry is I don't want to say like the industry is very behind, but like essentially there are two sort of groups that you can follow, particularly if you're in software that essentially just kind of show you the future. And so if you look at like the indie hackers or like the real kind of like startup space of the the companies that are out there that are actually building like groundbreaking technology um, or indie hackers that are building cool projects with the newest like programming languages out there. Mm -hmm. Both of those will give you a lot of exposure to kind of like what's going to go mainstream in a couple of years. And then if you follow the internet marketing channels, then you can kind of see with internet marketing, you can see what's going to kind of become the big sort of like marketing things, usually a couple of, of like um, of years down the line. So in internet marketing, everyone was doing virtual summits back in 2015, 2016, to the point that most people just stopped taking them seriously. A lot of people like Gary Vee, for example, um, he won't speak on virtual summits anymore because he found them to just be a complete like waste of like of, of time. I think he's changed his mind on that during mm-hmm. COVID because they couldn't do actual like, um, like conferences and stuff. But mm-hmm. um but uh, that was big in 2015, 2016. Well, the whole thing is like our industry was definitely not ready for that. That just like from a technological perspective, it would have been a huge nightmare to try to get people to actually log on to the right side at the right time. And like mm-hmm. all of this stuff would have just been a whole like nightmare. So I actually knew back in 2015, 2016 that, mm-hmm. okay, at some point in the next couple of years, the timing is going to be right for the us timing. to try this. Gotcha. And, yeah. yeah. And so we decided that like in 20. Um, 
um, in 2018. That was when we ran it for the for the first time. Mm. 2018, 2019, 2019 was the mm-hmm. first one. Um, and um, and so yeah, like um, in 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 2019 it was that like a software company had come along and had made it so that um so that you could run your own summit without having to deal with every little piece that you essentially dealt with the speakers you dealt with like actually getting the attendees but then you just had to upload the videos and it would kind of send all the emails do all of the communications all of that stuff and so as soon as i saw that Mm -hmm. i was like okay now we can try a summit without having to put in like eight months of effort to Mm -hmm. get all of these things right Mm -hmm. and as soon as i saw that we could actually test out the idea with with considerably less of like of an investment mm-hmm. that was when um was when we decided to pull like to pull the trigger on it and everything and um yeah i mean we just looked at it that you know like i i've mentioned at the beginning of the podcast of like you know worst case scenario planning is we just looked at it and we were like you know the worst case scenario is only like a hundred people are on here mm-hmm. and you know there are some things we can do to make sure that they get some really good value out of it but the upside is massive and so it Got turned you. out you know i mean the upside was way more than we could have ever like hoped for well that's an awesome story man why don't we um why don't we wrap it up by by giving you a chance to to tell us, you know, where uh, where ZenMade is at now versus when you first started, and maybe some things in the pipeline that that you're working on, or what, like kind of the evolution of ZenMade up until now, and in what you want us to see it be in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I'll just like you know drop in like a couple like links or whatever. Sure. Um, but. Um... Uh, yeah, so ZenMade, you know, we started out, took us like three years to get to, I think it was like 10K a month. It took us like, you know, 38 months or something to get there, which is like, it sounds like a lot of money, but not when you're running a business, you know, gotcha, we're making yeah. 10K a month. And I was, I was paying myself a thousand dollars, like a month out of like, out of the 10K that we were like, that we were making. Um, and so, um, you know, we just broke like a million dollars. So like, right, right now we're making, we're making about 90K a month. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's like really beginning to scale that, you know, whenever we like add more money, it's, it's, you know, pretty much going to the, to the bottom line at this point. So that's mm-hmm. like really nice. And, um, the goal is, is to really just to keep, to keep scaling it, you know, that, that like, I, I love what I do every day. I love the strategy that I get to like, to, to think about and stuff. Um, you know, I, I wake up like, um, I wouldn't say I wake up like excited for work, but I wake up excited for life. And I think that that's something that like, you know, I feel like I feel kind of aimless if we like sold the company right now but at some point maybe we'll look into that maybe we'll just sort of like leave it um or not like leave it but like maybe i'll hire a ceo to come in and take my my position so that i can kind of focus on like on on the next thing and um you know right now it's like i said you know i'm just like i'm on like my own sort of like fitness journey now um and you know helping like support the wife with like with with, with her stuff that she um she's working for zenmade and does a lot of like our marketing stuff but she's very passionate um about um like uh, sort of leading like a more like ethical sustainable life of like um you know finding ways to like recycle plastic and stuff like that and so i'm trying to like help her with her sort of like sort of like journey there and then, you know, starting to write a little bit, starting to do more podcasts like this mm, one, just gotcha. sort of, you know, mm. trying to help other people put myself out there a little bit more. Um, gotten quite active on Twitter. I'd mentioned that like a minute ago that like Twitter has become like my new just like favorite place to like to, to be and everything. And um, 
yeah, I mean, you guys can check that out. It's, it's just Amar, um, or my um, my personal website is uh, is the American Dream dot com. The American Dream. I, American... I, lo- I love yeah, it, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, send me those have, links um, so I get. I, I make sure I, I put them right in the description. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I used to have. Um, I used to have the United States of America.com and my wife decided that that was like too douchey that she, she literally was like, all right, for your birthday, I'm going to build you a new site. Like also I bought you a new domain. <laughs> oh my God, man. You're giving me some ideas. What I, you know, <laughs> oh man. Um, okay. Well, I guess I did this kind of reverse. Um, I guess for the, for the last minute, I, I think it's because your, your business is like your business model is so clear. I don't have to ask, but I can assume, but why don't you tell us who is Zen made perfect for, you know, and, and where does it stop? Like, I'm guessing, you know, the, the one-off one person made guy or, and then, you know, the guy running a four or five made operation, like what, uh, what's the perfect um, owner or client that you're looking for? Yeah. So the perfect owner or client is going to have like, like our, our perfect, perfect client is, um, is, is like anywhere from three to eight cleaners. We mm-hmm. tend to not be as, um, as like good for the really, really small people that if mm-hmm. they're like solo, then that will, um, will cause, um, well, yeah, I mean, it's just a little bit different. Gotcha. Um, and then, um, but but we we work with anyone like up to you know i mean i think our biggest client has like 80 or 85 cleaners but i would say probably like anywhere like 3 to 15 is pretty much like our target um but we we can work with anywhere from like 3 to like 25 cleaners but the main thing is like they have to be looking to scale the business they have to be thinking about the business um like a business owner is if someone is just like a solo cleaner that just wants to have like you know, five houses a week that they clean and it pays their bills, they're not going to be the right fit for Zenmade. Gotcha. Well, that is very eye-opening. And so you're saying maybe not not the, the best fit for just the one-off, but you have to have plans to be be scaling up and who wouldn't be right if you're if you're trying to run a cleaning business right why would you want to just be the person you want to be the person scheduling the other people right well that's the thing is like i i think that for, for people like you and me that seems like what it is but there's a lot of people out there that are just like i don't want to manage other people i don't want to be responsible for other people and for them you know if like if they can just work on their own have a couple loyal clients that pay enough to cover their bills to them that's a very like simple life and um you know in a lot of ways like you know i, I know a couple people in our industry um they don't use zenmade but they're very successful in their own right mm-hmm. and they've just found a way that over time they've built up a brand so like there's one guy that i follow that like he personally does all of like his cleaning and he charges like maybe like 70 dollars an hour and it's just for his like labor time or whatever and he's got i think five kids or something he like controls his own schedule he's off work at like 2 30 or 3 every day spends a bunch of time like you know i follow him like on facebook and stuff he's like an amazing dad an amazing father and he's just built this little business that just fits his lifestyle perfectly um so you know like i think there's only there's like two two sides to every story there's two ways of or like multiple ways of going about like everything personally to me that sounds terrible but for him it works really well and like more more power to him gotcha well 
Uh, thanks for your time, Amar. And Cat we're going to put all his links if you want to follow Amar, if you want to check out that, that video with the Jesus, which, which I am. Um, thank, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you for being our guest today, Amar Ghosh, uh, founder of ZenMade. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Bye.